Welcome to Shine Me A Light Podcasts. In this series, The Last 27 Years, we're going through in each episode the last 27 years in the life of one class of 95 Sydney Girls High School student. And this episode is Rion Kim. Exactly. And it's freezing over here and it's not freezing global comparison. You know, it's like eight no. degrees and I'm in like the biggest jumper and don't want to go outside. Oh, no. <laughs> a friend of mine's in Canada and he's like, yeah, it's minus 30. And I went to pick up my paper in my dressing gown and I'm like, oh, the heck is wrong with you? No way. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm actually on holiday. I'm in Croatia. Now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's absolutely, they've got drought restrictions at the moment and... <sighs> It's absolutely crazy at the moment, but um, so hot, so hot. They've literally had, you know, full sun for like I don't know several weeks now, and everyone's just like, had enough. So it's yeah. Well, no, it's good. I mean, this is why the Danes kind of come down here, right, to kind of get the sun and, for the heat, and feel a bit I, warm, and then I would be up, wanting yeah. to go into the air conditioning, but I'm a bit of a wuss. yes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> You know, Aussies, we're so we're so spoiled like that. We've got air conditioning and all the rest. So are. Uh, oh, my God. So true. Anyway, so. All right, so what we're pretty much doing me. is yet unpacking the yeah. last 27 years. So what wow. one question is, did you do HSC with everybody else in 95? Yes, I you did. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because not yeah, everyone yeah. did. A lot of people left. Oh. So you were there. Oh, do, I was there. <laughs> and do you have many memories of that time? Yes, I do actually. Yeah, year 12. Um, God, I remember muck-up day. I think that was my most distinct memory where, where okay. I don't know, there was, yeah, anyway, it was it was pretty crazy. But no, no last year, I, th- I think the last year of high school, the last two years of high school was really cool. I mean, these are the subjects that you got to choose by yourself and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you remember It's, it's the... so long ago. I know. This is the thing I say to some people, you know, so 95 and they're like, you know, really, I don't have much memory. <laughs> but I remember a muck-up day. It was before our year where they stole the KFC bucket and rolled it down Anzac Parade. Do you remember what? that? No, I don't remember that. That no, was pretty cool. No. I don't think anyone could have topped no. that. I think the police got involved. No. And <laughs> things were a bit tame yeah. after that. But, right, but okay. what happened to you? What, what happened, happened to, to me? You then? I you... left end of year. I had a bit of a meltdown end of year 11 and just I was traveling right. five hours a day to be at that school since the end of year seven. Oh, uh, my parents had moved out and I just refused to leave my school. So my parents were like, fine, you can travel five hours a day if you want, thinking I wouldn't. But stubborn yeah. me said, fine. And, and I just had enough of it by the end of year 11 yeah, and just left and went to year 12 somewhere else. But yeah, okay, um, so finishing HSC, what? Where did you go next? Did you go to university? Like the plan? For well, um, well, yeah, no. So that was the plan for everyone. I think several people already knew they were going to take it to gap year. I went straight to uni, and I did one year of uni uh, environmental science degree, and then I just went screw this shit. I don't <laughs> want to do this yet. And so I took the second year as a gap year, and I, I spent the second year just saving up for Europe. I was supposed to go to Europe with um. With D, do you remember D? Vaguely. Uh, vaguely, was... yeah. She was, she was um, Sri Lankan girl. She was in our group. Anyway, yeah. we we're gonna go to Europe together, and we were like working our asses off trying to save up money, and I just couldn't save up enough money to go to Europe and Eurorail, 
uh, around the place. So um, then I ended up going with um, this, uh, these girls from my first year uni that I'd met, um, yeah. you know, just random girls who were going to Southeast Asia. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And this literally just started off my kind of love for Southeast Asia and Indonesia and all the rest. So we ended up like first thing landing in Bali, going to Lombok and basically island hopping all of Indonesia up to Malaysia and Thailand and Cambodia and Laos and all these different places. Oh, wow. Um, And I actually had zero like awareness of Southeast Asia before then. It was all about Europe and going to Paris and all these different places. But then, um, so we did that for four four months at the end of the year, no, five months, I think. Uh, Amazing time. Uh, Ended up then coming home saying, okay, I'll do the environmental science degree, but then I'll also do a degree in Indonesian. Um, So I picked up a second degree and um, basically did that for the following five years and became really fluent in Indonesian, uh, all to do with that kind of, you know, Australian-Indonesian kind of relations and all the rest of it. And, uh, yeah, became this, like, full-on Indophile and and just had everything to do with Indonesia. Yeah, it was really amazing. It is kind of amazing how Eurocentric our education was considering where we are in the world, you know. We just didn't learn much about our neighbours. Absolutely. Yes, it was uh, it was either German or Japanese. Uh, I remember being offered at school. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god, Indonesia and all these countries are like our greatest neighbor, but I have no awareness of them. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but there's whole there's so much diversity and culture just north of us. Um, but it was yeah, it was such an amazing experience. It was uh, definitely something that that, so, that started sparking my my kind of you know drive for wanting to to travel and, and see more and work with international stuff and you'd done what they told you to do you'd broaden your horizons broaden your intellectual horizons <laughs> oh, i love that one that's hilarious god it's being it's funny being reminded of these things that we got drummed into us right? i know it's so funny so many times so and be an engineer so you know yeah. <laughs> Okay, so where are we up to? You were doing all this for, I'm assuming, the rest of the 90s? Yeah, so the rest of the 90s were, were um, kind of dedicated to Indonesia and, and travelling there as much as I could. Um, and then at about in 2000, I, I joined this kind of inter, international exchange program in Indonesia where I lived there for a year. Yeah. Um, studying at local universities. It's called the Australian Consortium for in-country Indonesian studies at Chichis, but this is a whole group of Australians from around Australia who get sent off every semester to um, universities in Indonesia and, and just basically have immersion. And the whole point is to try and build up these Australian-Indonesia relationships. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a year. It was 2000. I came back, you know, finished, finally finished my degree in 2002. I was like, I mean, it was one of those double degrees. You're fanging around. You're traveling as much as you can. I finally did a did a thesis in 2002, um, and because of my Indonesian, then I got sent to um, East Timor. Do you remember that? Where the whole East Timor at the time, yeah, Timor Leste, where they had this like massive massacre at the cemetery, and oh, you know the Indonesians came in and totally like massacred the population and all of that. So there was a whole development effort by um, by Australia in East Timor. 
Um, and I went, I basically got sent there as this youth ambassador for development uh, because I could speak Indonesian and, you know, again, this is where I was getting really interested in international development. So I lived there for, uh, in about 2003, I lived there for two and a half years yeah. in uh, in Dili and Akusi, working as um, an NGO kind of worker. I was leading the program for Union Aid Abroad, which is an Australian um union union funded aid organization so it's the the kind of development organization of the trade unions and you're only in your 20s at this point so yeah early 20s exactly pretty big and uh yeah it was really really big so two and a half years there um hopped around at the end of it to caritas did a bit of that work there and it was actually in that period that i um met my future husband it was really well we didn't know that we we're going to get married tell me the point. story well yeah well <laughs> it's long it's a complicated one but it was the last three weeks uh, and i was just doing a maternity cover for caritas uh, yeah. and we were out in this enclave uh, in a place called akusi in east timor um and east timor you know it's it borders indonesia so it's the easternmost island one of the easternmost islands you've got papua up the north yeah. And then to the kind of west of that, you've got Timor, the island. So you've got a West Timor, which is Indonesian, and the East Timor, which is uh, East Timor. Um, and Okusi was this enclave surrounded by all of West Timor or Indonesia. And it was still an independent kind of district of East Timor, but surrounded by Indonesia. And by that time, I think all of the, you know, there's a lot of animosity with, with the Indonesians. Of course, there's a lot of wow. history with them. A lot of the younger East Timorese had gone to Indonesia to study. But at the same time, there was like this growing feeling of this is our national identity and this is our national pride. And our... So there was a few international organizations sent to, to Ukusi to actually, you know, also help with the development. And there were military um, postings and observers and UN and all the rest of it. Wow. And uh, my... My future husband was one of the UN military observers oh, wow. there and I was working with the NGO. So there were like only 15 people, internationals, uh, from Portugal, from Australia, from, you know, all different places, essentially. Oh, well, yeah. um, Mozambique, you know, because it's an old Portuguese colony. So there's a lot of Portuguese speaking, you know, people. Yeah. Um, so this is where we met. We met, we had a fling. I was thinking... This is the last time I'm gonna see him, so whatever. And then, <laughs> and then after that, do you remember the tsunami that happened? Yes. The 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 big Indian Ocean tsunami. It was really full on. So many people basically wiped out in a, in a really short amount of time. But then I got sent to Indonesia because again, because of my Indonesian, to set up the country program in uh, in northern Indonesia in Aceh province. Yeah. And at that point, um. Yeah, so I was living there for another year and a half there. And uh, by that time, I said goodbye to them. this this guy. Uh, we weren't going to see each other again, but then we kept contact. So this is basically what happened. We Fate had this long distance it. relationship. Yeah, exactly. We had this long distance relationship while I was in Aceh and, um, yeah, working to set up again for, for Union Aid Abroad to set up their country program there because we'd actually brought in quite a lot of donations from the trade unions. Yeah. You know, our work was pretty much to... Uh, you know, build the unions in these countries as well and build the kind of movement for protecting workers' rights and all that kind of thing. This is so. intense stuff, Rion. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that it happens. Is, especially considering the age. 
you know? Like, exactly. <gasps> so this is within the first 10 years of leaving, yeah. um, you know, um, leaving high school, I'd, I'd been doing all of this stuff basically. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, so that, that was that, that those 10 years were like full on. Uh, I also managed to get dengue fever twice. So I ended up with dengue hemorrhagic fever. Wow. Um, which was another kind of thing on top of that. Uh, and, and basically it's, it's like Ebola, right? You start bleeding from your internal organs. Like it's full on, full yeah. on. I studied and it, it in medical microbiology, it. but I have no personal Did experience. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I heard it was, I heard it's like pretty bad. There's four strains of dengue. And if you, the more strains you get, then the, the worse you get. Yeah. Um, but that pretty much put an end to my development because I thought, oh, okay, I can't really go out to tropical countries again and put myself at risk, risk. because it was like, yeah. I get this one more time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was my first 10 years anyway. So we're up to 2005 and then, intense. yeah, it was really intense. Mm. It was a Give pretty awesome, awesome time. Yeah, <laughs> awesome time, but uh, really intense anyway. You grew yeah, up. Yeah. You grew up. Yeah, I think me at 25 versus you at 25 were two different 25s. (laughs) What were you doing at 25? Oh, struggling with my first child and um, just, just, uh, I don't, I, you know, crashing cars and, you know, just, just. Oh, what? Oh, wow. So you actually had kids quite young. I had my first one young. I didn't know my second one until I was 38, but I had my child, first child at 24, which was way too young for me. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's also an advantage to having young kids, right? Because then, well, having kids young. Yep, you have more energy. Then yeah, exactly, you have more energy, but then they grow up fast and then you've got a whole, still got the 30s maybe. Where yeah. you and now I have life. a 19-year-old, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's <I'm> crazy. crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so your, t- your mid-20s. Did you come back to Australia or did you stay overseas? Yeah, so I, you know, during my time in that first 10 years, I was kind of coming back and forth. Um, I had the base in Australia, but I was spending so much time overseas, like in these countries working overseas. Um, And so this is where then the future husband comes in because after Ache and after like this dengue fever thing, um, he's like, why don't you come to Denmark? And I'm like, yeah. Why not? You know, I've never been to, you know, Europe before and I really wanted to go like Finally since getting to 1996. Europe. Exactly. <laughs> I had no money. So it took me 10 years. So I, then I, I, I get up there in, I think, um, mid-2000s um, and I visited him a couple of times. Like, oh, this is really cool. So, super exotic. Super yeah. like for me because it was just like a whole other continent with so much diversity again but just in a really different way. Like yeah. not like Southeast Asia but just – just really could just cross the land border and you're from like France to Italy and like, you know, whatever. It's it just, it's so different. Yeah. Right? And uh, for someone who's never really kind of left that region to come to a place where everything's really developed, but then you've got languages within the space of a few hours. It was like, Oh, this is amazing. It's so cool. I remember crossing my first land border from Denmark to Germany and I'm sitting there taking photos going, Oh, this is amazing. And like, <laughs> And my my friends here were just like, get over it. Get over it. <laughs> I'm like, but I'm like, no way. Just let me have my moment. Every time okay. you, 
Exactly. Because every time in Australia, you'd have to jump on a plane to yeah. leave, right? You, you don't think about it. But well, you're not like, since okay, COVID. We've had the border controls <laughs> since COVID. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. I mean, mm. that's, that's, that's a bit hardcore. Your whole COVID policy has been a bit... There were those two girls who I think are still in jail for going to Queensland in 2020. Oh, really? Yeah, very. you know, because we had no crossing the border rules and these two girls got in a car and went to Queensland. I think they still are in prison. Oh, Oh, Australia. Anyhow. Yeah, I know. (laughs) There's hope, though. There's hope. There's a new government, so there's hope. Yep. um, Then what happened? Yeah, so then I came out to, yeah, Denmark totally, like, excited about being here and being in Europe and all the rest of it and then um basically got a scholarship to do my master's here um and uh, ended up doing in agricultural development it was called so it's basically rural you know livelihoods so this is basically what I've been doing for the first 10 years with the developing countries and helping people you know understanding their livelihoods and understanding how they use natural resources and and then um did that for two years and then tried like crazy to find a job in Denmark. But in Denmark, it's interesting because all the experience that you gain after your bachelor, they don't count. Um, so a lot of students actually do their bachelor and masters and then get a job. And then, so there was a lot of employers that were looking at me going, you've just finished masters. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's nothing. It means nothing. Um, and I got so many knockbacks and I was just like, come on, like I have 10 years of working in the international setting and the UN for, for you know, international organisations and also having teams and leading them and all the rest of what's going on. But anyway, then I quickly figured out, okay, maybe I just need to go one higher. And so then I ended up starting a PhD. Um, yeah. So I went into that. Um, and my, my master's and PhD, these were like seven years where – um a good seven years i think well no five years where uh then me and my husband at that point we got married then we started having kids um and in my phd time i actually managed to um yeah to do my phd as well as raise my first child newborn baby and a phd yes exactly well they were both they were both like babies right so that's you're riding intense. a baby and you're holding a baby and nursing it. But, I mean, it's, it's very normal in Denmark to kind of you know, have your kids while you're doing studies as well because it's, yeah, you can kind of, you've got the time to set aside. to. It's different values, isn't it, over there around yeah. balance and family work? and Oh, so much more. Yeah, and I was actually really surprised you finished at six. Do you finish work at six? Uh, yeah, because I'm still doing tuition. Because uh-huh. I, I graduated from an MBA earlier this year thinking, I'm going to go work nine to five, but I have a five-year-old who has special needs and I can't use after-school oh. care. And so I, I'm yeah, still doing yeah. what I was doing when I was at uni, which is okay. tutoring in the afternoons. So, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Because that, yeah. Single I mean, mum hustler over here. Well. <laughs> 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 it's a really long day for you. But I was just thinking in Denmark, you know, we – we're, we're really lucky because we've got a 37-hour week. We work from, you know, 8 till 4. I think a lot of people on Fridays, they leave at like 3 o'clock and they're picking up their kids. Yeah. So that whole kind of pick up from school and having the afternoon and evening together, that's, it's like a really it's my dream. It's a thing. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And so once, I mean, 
in the beginning when I was in Denmark, I was like, this is, the place is so expensive and you pay like 50% of your income goes to tax and all the rest of it. But after having kids, I was like, now I get it. Yeah. I get exactly why social, we pay yeah. so much. Because yeah. our social system, it, it doesn't work. Like I, I get some help from the government, but it's less than my rent. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I yeah. must work, you know. Yeah, exactly. And childcare is insanely expensive over there, right? Yeah, and, and I can't get it anymore. Cause, but it, no. it was pretty good, actually, the childcare when she was younger. It was only $20 a day, that, and that was pretty yeah, good. Okay. Um, but it wasn't yeah. certainly, you know, and, and I could, and I, but I used that time to study, preparing mm. for, you know, you just, this is just, yeah. your plans mean nothing, right? Life is just what yeah, happens, absolutely. you know? Absolutely. Oh, well. oh, God. So, how old are yeah, your kids yeah. now? So they're nine and uh, my son's just turned 12. Oh, um, so he was cute. born in 2010. Yeah, really cute. And they're still quite young and such good kids as well. Um, really just good kids, you know. And I'm, just, I'm not saying that just because I'm a mum to them, but they no. are good. Just, just watch out for year nine. <laughs> yes. Okay. Probably God, I'm not that. looking forward to the team. Yeah, <laughs> I think you get about five words per month. <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good day. Oh, anyway. no, that's great. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's hope they, they're well-adjusted teenagers. I don't know. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So what are you doing at the moment? So, so you're in Denmark at the moment. You've been in Denmark the whole time. Yeah, the whole time. So, so I am now working in senior management uh, and I'm with the European Environment Agency. Oh, lovely. Um, so I don't know how that translates in Australia, but it's like the governmental body that does all of, all of Europe's state of the environment. Um, so we released a report every five years that says, this is the situation in the environment. This is how you're, you know, these, these are the trajectories in terms of climate, in terms of biodiversity, um, all the rest of it. And I'm, I'm leading the program on biodiversity and ecosystems. Probably the difference um, is things are actually happening. Whereas yeah. in Australia, yeah, <laughs> exactly, we'll find yeah, that in the big... shredder. <laughs> no. Exactly, I know. Well, I mean, this is why I'm glad that you that finally we've changed government, you know, yeah. in Australia. So there might be some hope. And I just uh, was reading about how Australia's just submitted its its contribution to reducing greenhouse gases, which it hadn't done under the previous government. So I mean, at least it's there's some pledge there. Yeah, it's progress. Yeah. So um. Yeah, so I'm I'm there now, and it's it's a pretty full-on job, you know. I'm working with the EU Commission, and I've got like you know forty-five people underneath me. I'm we're basically working to um, in the next few years we'll be implementing the nature restoration law. So it's the first all-encompassing law in the EU, which um, obliges member states to actually restore their nature to a certain level of quality which is amazing you know yeah, to, it to is. Have something like that yeah i mean this is what we need all over the world so yeah. we're actually um working quite uh, closely with the global the global convention on biodiversity um to look at you know how we can get that that standard across the world as well so this is arguably the most important job. stuff right now yeah absolutely all, you know, like, yeah Absolutely. No, but nature nature comes first. I mean, if we don't have nature, we can't bounce back from any of these, these disasters, you know, kind of basically a good intact ecosystem 
can help you medicate some of those, you know, heat waves or can help, you know, filter clean water. You can do all these amazing things if yeah. we just left it alone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what people need to kind of start understanding yeah. so that we understand why we need to kind of protect it to some level or restore it to some level. And how do you think from your, how do you think that message is going to get across to people? Well, I think the reason why it hasn't at the moment is essentially because it's so complex to understand. Um, when people think about nature, they you know they love the green trees and all the rest of it, but they don't understand that everything that they're using on a day-to-day basis comes from some kind of natural resource uh, use. It's resource exploitation to some yeah. extent. And I think, I mean, not to get super philosophical on it, but it comes really from this growth mindset, this, this idea that we can yes. just buy whatever we want that we can keep accumulating, that we can keep using, 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 using. And this growth paradigm that we've had in our economics. um, Eternal economic growth. Exactly. Yeah, and you've come across that in your MBA definitely, right? So we need to change that uh, because to some extent we are not in kind of infinite resource abundance. We are in some some resource limitations as well. We need to start thinking about it that way because – yeah. The more that we think that we can just keep just using whatever we want, well, then for the future generations, we've got nothing. And I think that's what essentially the whole system is what people need to understand. But it's really complex to explain it even is, to my mum or to my aunt. You know, they're like, eh, climate change. Eh. And it's not, not necessarily to say that they're stupid or ignorant or anything like that. It's just such yeah. a complex kind of connection that, that you need to explain how their behavior is actually affecting the bigger picture yeah and then you you have those you know people who say well my contribution is very little like my my impact sorry is is very little but then that times seven billion people and then you've got the situation we're in now which is six mass extinction on the doorstep climate change you know economies crumbling you know political systems going all crazy i don't know anyway so try, the, yeah. these are the conversations we're having. In your I know, and it's, well, they're, you know, they're important conversations. I, you know, I find it hard not to get passionate about that stuff myself, you know, and I sort of feel like a lot yeah. of the times politicians want to stay in power more than they want to do the right thing and people want yeah. to make money more than they want to do the right thing. And so everybody yeah. gets, kind of gets lied to and people would like to believe the lie rather than change and it's sort of, it's just like, I need to calm yeah. down, you know, and just... Work on myself, exactly. you know, because it, exactly. it's hard. It's really hard stuff to no, think about. It is really hard. It's, but it's also, I mean, it's very, hu- it's human nature that we are short term. You know, we only see what's kind of on our in- well, immediate time horizon. And beyond that, it's really hard to think about what's going to happen in our kids' lifetime when they're, yeah. they're our age and they're looking back and, and looking at what their world's going to potentially be like. It's hard for us to imagine that. And, oh. and maybe we can. But then it's even harder for us to imagine what their kids. Yeah, and it's hard to feel like. those feelings, and, and it's easier to, yeah. you know. I, I read somewhere that the next generation of children, yeah. like the ones who are babies today, will be the first generation who might not have children because of the level of uncertainty will just be so great that it's just too dangerous, you know. And I thought, Absolutely. how sad is that, you know? Just to, it's so sad. It's so you know. sad. But already you start to see it. I mean, I I've come across a couple of women who are in their late forties, and they're like, no. Nah, why would I want to bring up a kid in this? You know, yeah. like, yeah, it, it's, it's it's a bit depressing to yeah. see that. But yeah, anyway, 
So it's tough work that you do, but it's important yeah. work. So I guess it's very rewarding. I'm making that assumption. <laughs> but um, Yeah, it is very rewarding. It's very rewarding and challenging, but also because I think Europe is so far ahead of the other countries, like other areas. Yep. And I think this is why I was always attracted to Europe because especially in my field, which is environment, um, Europe was always a leader. You know, it was always the ones that were first with the cycle lanes, that were first with the recycling and, and all of this. And now I'm so Subsidies close to Subsidies for EVs. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I know. And uh, now I'm, I'm so close to the European policy making. You know, it's us that provide all the scientific evidence to help European Commission propose laws on, on this, that and the other. And that's like... Oh, it's so amazing to be in that space and, and they like, listen to you yeah well i mean we are we are the agency of the european <laughs> union so you know we can have science agencies in australia and they say <laughs> you know, exactly. whatever <laughs> exactly i know they listen to us this oh. is it this is it and but this is where i i mean i'm really grateful that that uh being in the in the european union like there is really strong leadership on this side of the world and i think yeah. we can at least continue to be that strong European leader, then that, that's, that's great. I'm, yeah. I'm sounding like a Europhile now. I am actually a oh, Dane. Oh, good on you. Great convert. So. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Much like Mary. <laughs> I was watching they divided the world up on a map. I was seeing in, in colours, you know, and white to black, white being the most progressive countries who were doing the most for change, you know, and there was Sweden and yeah. Norway and Denmark and, you know, and um, yeah, yeah. sadly uh, we were not white. <laughs> no, no. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a long way to go, but, you know. But, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. So what, yeah. Uh, this is, I mean, this has been an incredible 27 years. What else has happened? There must be more. Tell me more. There's a lot more. Um, so I, yeah, still. So let's go back a bit because my PhD and master's oh. are super interesting. Yeah. I went to the Democratic Republic of Congo for my master's um, and basically did my master's thesis on how people use natural resources there. Uh, and then I did my PhD on the Brazilian Amazon, um, also looking at how people use natural resources. Uh, so I've just, you know, I spent a lot of my time, even though I was not meant to travel to these developing countries anymore, just still traveling and still seeing the world and all the rest of it, which was super amazing. Like just having that experience of, um, of of seeing just these different continents and also these different cultures i think was really really special yeah but i think that's where i really learned um you know a real appreciation for like basically how people use nature right and how people uh, are living off the, the land and all the rest of it so that's been a super key moment in my my career at least uh, and also my personal kind of life to just uh, see people who can't actually afford to eat three times a day for example in the DRC um, you know luckily we had the money to buy three meals a day yeah. some of these people would be you know out in the field from six o'clock in the morning be out in this these cassava fields just just basically planting cassava on these really unproductive lands but then come home at three o'clock and have their only meal of the day which was consisting of like cassava leaves and then maybe the root of the cassava and that would be it that would be their meal and then here we are as a team of uh, field workers and whatever and 
or having our sardines in a tin, which I mean, by any standard, we'd think all oh, sardines in a tin, but that was like yeah, luxury. privilege. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it cost absolutely nothing for us, but but they had even less. And I think this is where I just went, oh my god, like just the disparity between yeah between yeah. the way that we uh, we're living our lives and the growth and the kind of consumption and the yeah. and the kind of use of materials contra these people who have probably got one not even a hectare half a hectare and they've just got a few kind of spinkly cassava trees that they're just basically eating off i mean it's it's full on it's full yeah. on and then you know, then they go into the forest to kind of hunt an animal once in a while and uh, and that's how they get maybe extra protein or yeah. a little bit of extra income. But that's it. We're that's, so that's basically far their life. removed. We're so far removed so far from removed. this reality. And a lot of the times we're paying yeah. for this stuff, you know, yeah. without having yeah. any idea, you know. No. I Absolutely. Sometimes when I think what should change, I think transparency should be mandatory. Yeah. You know, people, when they're yeah. making a purchase, they should have to see exactly what's happening because of their spending, yeah, you know. Because we just, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, what do they teach in your MBAs these days anyway? Oh, do, they, do they go into that or? They do, no, sadly. It's pretty much still the finance, the um, economics, the mm. uh, accounting, the strategy, marketing, leadership, all that kind of stuff. I did um, my electives in healthcare and then I did social mm. media content creation. Um, just oh, right. What I was interested okay. in and I'd gotten the wrong advice, couldn't get a healthcare specialisation, so I went, fine, I'll do that. Um, I think it's yeah, more right. for more it's been a personal sort of passion realizing that every time I vote with my dollar every time I lay my dollar yeah. down I'm paying for something to happen somewhere else that exactly. I want to know you know and and I think yeah. I've you know what I buy to eat <laughs> what I try and yeah. buy to wear what yeah. I you know I, I try to pay attention to be as conscious as I can because I'm so far removed from it I'm I'm such a privileged person you know I turn the light yeah. on you know the electricity the water we runs you know I think but trying to be conscious of that and trying to be aware where is my money going you know and and still people people laugh at me you know but I I it's about, it's, I don't know, it's the right thing if to me. I kind of think if I can buy a Absolutely. fair trade product, I'm going to buy it. If I can, you know, it's Absolutely. it's the least yeah. I can do, quite literally the least I can do, you know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but that's what it comes down to, you know. It really comes down to those choices uh, that people make on the everyday level um, to, to kind of just change it from, from their choice from the choice, the action of actually choosing a product, then they're saying, hey, we don't want to kind of enter into this supply system, the yeah. supply chain that change. is really, really destructive. Because yeah, all these companies, they're just existing to make yeah. money So, and it's supply and demand. Yeah. So if the demand was yeah. we want fair wages, we don't want slave labour, we don't want this, they, they'd stop doing it. It's just because they yeah. they can hide it from people and that's where I feel like transparency should be mandatory. You know, they can hide it, um, people don't. It's a bit of willful ignorance going on, um, you know, yeah. and I think it's sort of once you, figure, you know, it's hard to unthink it, you know, but I think, yeah. you know, God, first 30 years of my life, I never thought about it, you know, just bought a Big exactly. Mac and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. washed it down exactly. with a bowl of bourbon and a pair of Nike shoes, you know, <laughs> like, and you just, it's hidden from you and I, I don't, Absolutely. I don't like that. If I could do my life yeah. again, I think I'd be a lawyer and I would fight for that kind of stuff, you know transparency oh, wow. and really? things yeah, like that. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's actually a growing thing, right? Is to is to environmental law, um, where they're giving rights to kind of natural areas and things like that to kind of stand on their 
have their own entity essentially yeah, i'd want personhood the... for animals and trees and yeah, <laughs> i'd absolutely. be that crazy lawyer you know in the new in new zealand they get they granted personhood to a tree so it couldn't be cut yeah. down and i was just like yeah it gets me fired up you know but anyway. yeah, yeah 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 i mean but this this could be the future as well i mean we might have to go there because our systems are just not set up for for taking account of nature and no. i think this is where with the finances so i was working um in this in this organization a european organization again on on metrics and finance and we're basically trying to mainstream climate and nature into finance and the problem is and it comes down to what we said we're talking about right the whole system is not set up to take account of nature so we're working a lot on the metrics so what could be the metrics that would help um, investors actually invest into nature and feel like they're getting a return and all the rest of it yeah but when you calculate when you're when you're talking about um, investment and return on investment, it the, the actual the, the calculation itself is it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't actually have an adequate calculation that could take account of the nature, all the services that ecosystems provide, or all the rest of it, right? Yeah. And I think this is the problem: is like we're trying to fix the financial system or these systems that we've created, where in the first place they haven't they haven't really taken account of trees or or nature or climate or all the rest of it and this is why we're we're kind of a bit doomed to failure unless we want to start tinkling with that you know and it's the way we pay our chief executives we pay them on quick returns you know if they were paid based on the damage they did 20 years down the track and if you're going to be doing damage 20 your bonus will not be given to you this quarter but they're not they're paid how much money you can make this quarter let whatever damage you do down the road it doesn't affect the money and so i think that needs to change the way people are paid you know it, it needs to be taken into account there's so much that needs to be changed you know i think it would it keeps so me awake much. at night you know and i think yeah. i sort of you know to stay sane sometimes i just have to think you know focus on myself and change yourself yeah, and yeah. you know um, but yeah, I, I love what you do. I think it's really exciting, yeah. and I think I'd probably get too excited. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's exciting to do this in a, in a place like Europe, though, and I can yeah. understand that in Australia, it's really disheartening. Like I've got yeah. a lot of friends. Do you remember Jabaluka, that whole uranium mine protest oh that happened in the nineties? Yeah, uranium mining. A bell. <laughs> Because yeah, it was all so save was, the I mean, trees was, in the nineties. Remember, it was like yeah, 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 exactly. But a lot of my friends who are really like full on environmental activists and like campaigners and all the rest, I mean, they've just come. And when I speak to them, they're like, they've almost given up hope for Australia. They're like, you know, the best I can do is just being myself and and make the right choices, just like you were saying. Yeah. Because yeah. for so long we've had this government that's that's really just. It's you know, only thought about the coal. It's been so depressing to yeah. watch, and I'm like, "Come on, guys! Like, this is where you need to rally." And they're yeah. like, "You know what? You know, look, I'm just going to teach my kids how to make the proper choices, and that's that's. I'll I'll just do my local impact, and that's it." Yeah, and I get that. I get it to to a large extent because it, when you see no leadership in this area from the Australian government, then you're just like, oh. And there's ridicule and, um, you know, there's politicians talking about running over activists and people making jokes yeah, about oh it, and, you know, and you just think it's very disheartening, disillusioning. And, yeah. and, um, and there's people, really? there's climate change deniers, you know. I mean, I yeah. have, you know, 
You know, still. It's, oh my god! <laughs> come on! Oh, it's painful sometimes, and I try to remember that thing. If you argue with an idiot, now there's two idiots. <laughs> so I just, oh I've had to, god. you know, God grant me the power to shut my mouth. <laughs> it's just, yeah. But but it's it's sad in a way. Yeah, you know, I. I it's so sad. It is because yeah. who's gonna who's gonna get up and and do something about it? You know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's- really sad but anyway i'm i'm you know let's hope that our next generation kind of understands what what it's all about and and correct the mistakes that we've been making i I love the youth i love the angst of the youth and the the rage and the the energy you know like come on guys i'm old (laughs) (laughs) it's your turn now i'm gonna equip them the best best way possible (laughs) no but i'm i've been good with my propaganda to my kids uh, I think they understand what I do and, uh, you know, I, I, it's me shaping my next generation. So I'm like, come on, yeah. you know, this is what it's about and make sure that you're, that, that you understand your impact and all the rest. Of course, they still get heaps of shit from me. And, yeah, and they get, I, my son got teased at high school, you know, for, he went, my son's autistic and he went to science class mm-hmm. and they were talking about animal mm-hmm. agriculture being bad for the environment. Um, and so mm-hmm. he was black and white thinking and he said, well, like, okay, well, let's just stop eating animals. Like yeah. it's simple. We'll just yeah. eat what the animals eat. Yeah. We're growing. Yeah. Um, the ridicule that followed, you know, years of teasing yeah. and taunting and, you know, and I just yeah. thought it's, it's yeah. sad. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. not the right time yet no. for Australia. No, hopefully not. soon. <laughs> yeah, okay, no, but but there's there's some truth in that, right? You need some yeah. global shocks to just really go. Oh my god, this is what's uh, this is what it's about, and this is why we need to change things. There's, but, there's yeah. countries that are yeah, going to no. go under. You know, we're going to have millions yeah. of climate refugees, and then we're going to have the Absolutely. you know one nation supporters yeah. saying, "Well, you're not coming here." You know, so I just kind of I feel just, like that's. Isn't it, is, oh my god, she, is there still one nation? Oh yes, yeah, she just won her seat again. Are you serious? How the hell does she still? This, oh my god, unbelievable! She, I mean, this woman is like, she still hangs around. It's amazing. She's got a following. Jesus. Yeah, she won her seat. <laughs> yeah, gone. That's so sad. It is. That's really sad. It really is. Yeah. I can't believe oh the issues god. that we're still talking about. Sometimes I just. Yeah, it's 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 backwards. Yeah. It's just backwards. No. You know? yeah, yeah. So no, tell no. me about that. Just I, I know this is about me, but I'd really love to understand what was the motivation behind doing this podcast and uh, and well, getting these people on and what are they doing? What what's your impression so far? I don't know what's wrong with me sometimes, but about five years ago, I had an idea for a book. I thought, wouldn't it be great if we all wrote our stories, you know, and and what's happened in it? And you know, because I think when it started with Facebook and everybody was looking at Facebook mm. and looking to see what how you know, I thought a book would be great, um, but nobody wanted to write. And I thought, oh yeah. Mm. And then in COVID, podcasts started to become a thing, and so I, I reapproached people and said, what about a podcast? You know, we don't have to write; mm. we can just chat for an hour, you know. And um, that seemed to get a better reception, you know, not from everybody, obviously. Oh, that's, cool. that's fine. Um, but I thought, you know, and it would be cool. People can listen and, and people can say what they want. You know, it's up to people what they want to share, what they don't. And and I just kind of thought it would be a cool idea. And I don't know, now I'm sort of started thinking I'd like to be a podcast host. I've got two more series now that I'm doing because I've got, I'm oh, wow. 44 years old and I still don't yeah. really have a career, you know. I'm a bit of a <laughs> jack of all trades, you know. I had kids too young, as I said, you know. Oh. I, w- I wanted to be a musician. 
you know, I was I wanted to be a singer songwriter. Oh, right. That was my dream. Really? Yeah. And that having yeah. a child does not work very well with that. So no. that was pretty much the end of that. And then I, and then I ran a bathroom shop for my family. Um, didn't want to do that. Then I went back to uni. Decided I wanted to do medicine, but I graduated from my science degree, which meant post grad and no funding, wow. so I couldn't do that. Then I did another yeah. science degree and honours, and um, went on to do a PhD. But I hated research because it was really isolating. So then I thought, well, what can I do with all this science? I'll be a science teacher. Then I got to the placements and went Jesus Christ 30 teenagers stuff this so then I thought I've been running businesses for a long time now I think I'll do an MBA and find out how it's done properly then I come out of that got a five-year-old I can't use childcare, so I've got um I do a bit of life coaching I do um numerical like psychometric testing prep for pilots I do tuition for high school students I do some strategic small business support I'm blogging I'm podcasting and trying to parent and of all the things I like this so I've been thinking the next one I'm going to do is um, women's immigration stories because I've got a lot of friends who grew up overseas and and it's a very different experience to come here as an adult and then I thought I'd do another one and um so yeah that was a bit of a ramble but it's um that's amazing it's amazing but I mean you've been doing a lot of things it's just what happens isn't it you know and yeah like oh, people with five-year plans, I just, I've, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it happens, of course. But I mean, then you've got a lot of experiences to draw from, right? So just that's that's the best thing. Random, yeah. But um, it's, yeah, it's, so I'm enjoying good, it. I'm enjoying the podcasting, yeah, loving hearing everyone's stories, and they're so different. And and some people yeah. feel so nervous, you know, like oh, my story will be boring. You know, not one of us, I think, could be boring no. if we tried. You know. Um, I know, because that's life. That's life, right? And life's about the stories, about all the cool things that happen. That's so and relatable. the not cool things. But, yeah, yeah it's so relatable. Absolutely. Everyone's experiences are relatable and so different. And, and, and I think it was yeah. just, it came to me, we were all in the same place, you know, and then we all went in 180 different directions. And I just yeah, thought, wouldn't exactly. it be interesting to find out where yeah. all those 180 places are? Because it was the courtyard, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. in 1990, all sitting there in our little poo uniforms. <laughs> you know, like, I know, I know. <laughs> and where so did cool. everyone go, you know? Oh, so I think that was the idea behind memory. it. That's such a, it's such a great idea, I think. It was, I mean, it was, it was a great initiative and I hope you get actually a hold of everybody. So glad you started it. It's so good. No, well, it's excellent. Thank you so much for being a part of it. I really appreciate it, Rion. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Your story is, um, it's, you've given me chills like most of the time while we've been talking, you know, because it's just stuff that I'm so passionate about personally and you're living it, yeah. you know. It's like when I was talking yeah, to Grace really and I was saying to her, you know, because I wanted to be a musician, and I was like, how did it feel, you know, to go on stage with all these people? And she's like, you know, I, I just did it. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I would have been yeah. freaking out. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bit of an Uber fan. Oh, well. I'll be honest with you, speaking with Riong was so inspiring for me. She's doing amazing stuff, in my opinion, in this world, like on the international stage. Blows me away, and I'm definitely a fan. Thanks so much, Riong, for being a part of this series. 